Hey, what is up, guys? Thanks for checking out another episode of the Pixelist Podcast. You might notice something, and that's our illustrious co-host, Will, is not with us today. Uh, if you have been checking out the channel long term, you know that he's actually on vacation. He's over in Iceland uh, enjoying an amazing vacation. It's like, what the heck are we doing, right? And I just wanted to throw out some content for you guys. Uh, if you're new to the channel, this is the Pixelist podcast. We talk about all things really nerdy and Pixelist related. It's typically a lot of like D&D and Marvel stuff um, and Critical Role stuff as well. And Will and I, we've been talking for a long time about just different kinds of series and things we want to put on the channel, things we want to talk about. Um, you'll see Will back on the show next week, but in the meantime, I wanted to share some things that have been, um, rolling through both of our minds. One of those things is a D&D inspired dungeon master game master series on tips and insights for, um, you and your campaign. So I was going to call it DM Academy, but that already exists. And so I didn't want to shamelessly rip <laughs> from Reddit. Uh, what is a clever name for this, I guess. But ultimately, what I'll tell you, just a couple of quick background information. Uh, Will has been a dungeon master before. He's an amazing, amazing DM. And I have been dungeon mastering a campaign with, um, uh, five people now for a little over a year. So neither of us are DM savants or experts in any way, uh, but we wanted to do this video because we've had some great reactions with the games that we've played, and we hope to share that with you guys. If you're like us, you love D&D, but you don't always have a group of friends to play it with. Maybe you've been looking for some friends to join you, to play it with you. And maybe the idea of being a dungeon master is very intimidating. In fact, if you watch Critical Role and or, or um, Dimension 20, you're probably extremely intimidated by what you probably perceive to be the baseline dungeon master experience. And I'm here to say that's not the case. That's actually not the case. Um, Matt Mercer and Brittany Lee Mulligan are insanely talented. They're incredible. But you need to understand that you absolutely do not need to perform at their level, or even I would say, t talking away from like skill sets and talents, you don't even have to do some of the things that they do for your players to have a really good experience. For example, uh, you may see someone like Matt, Matt, Matt Mercer doing all sorts of different voices, and you're thinking, well, I gotta do all these accents and voices. You don't have to, you don't have to do all those things. So uh, today I wanna share some things, a couple of just quick insights that might help make your dungeon mastering experience a little bit better. Now, we'll go ahead and we'll use the, the, the terminology DM and GM pretty interchangeably. So dungeon master is what it was called back in the day uh, in you know early D&D &D days. Uh, now, which back then it was less common for there to be sort of this long-standing campaign like we see um, serialized on Twitch. And it was like a group of people get together. You know, here's what we're doing today. We're going into this goblin lair and, you know, I'm the dungeon master. So I'm designing the lair or, or even just guiding you through um, what's happening. So now Dungeons and Dragons is a lot more mainstream. And so what we have found is... 
people often refer to themselves as the game master uh, just because there's not always uh, an actual dungeon involved. So having said that, the point of today's video is that we would really talk about um, some things that would make your campaign more effective. And one of those things that I'd love to talk about is this concept of, of strong communication with your players. Like you may have players that are from um, all different experiences, all different walks of life. And you're thinking about how do I create a game that draws people in and more importantly, keeps them coming back. You know, you may know the statistic and this is like a very like gen generic statistic um, that's kind of like generally accepted. And that's that most games do not survive past level five. Um, and similarly kind of saying the same thing, most players will never make it to level 10 before their campaign inevitably dies. And we've all, I think, been in that campaign where, you know, I joked about a campaign that I was in um, where like over the course of eight months, I think we met like four times and my wife, so we have, we have kids at home, life's kind of crazy, uh, raising our kids. And it became kind of a meme around my household where it'd be like, hey, honey, I got D&D &D on Monday night. And then D&D &D would roll around and someone would call out. Someone else would be absent. Oh, you know, and so my wife would be like, hey, aren't you going to D&D? &D? And I'd be like, uh, it's canceled. And it'd be pretty annoying because we'd like set aside that night. She'd be with the kids like this is the D&D &D night and then it wouldn't happen. And it's like, come on, like, what are we doing, right? So you've probably been in a cam campaign like that before. And likely deep down, you would love a group of people who enjoy playing with you, who show up, um, who actually are active in the table. So I wanna share some insights around communication that can help you have that kind of game style. So having said that, um, you know, I don't really have like a presentation on this. I'm kind of just reflecting on the campaign that I have. And hopefully there's some insights there that you can latch on to for your own campaign. And what I'll tell you, I'll just go ahead and do this disclaimer. Um, if you have a contrasting opinion, you know, it's like, hey, I've tried that. It didn't really work for me. Here's something else that I've done instead. Or you just have generically good advice for running your D&D campaign. Uh, drop it down in the comments below and absolutely would appreciate that kind of insight for the people on our channel. So having said that, the power of communication in your D&D &D adventure cannot be understated. There is so much that is reliant on effective communication, being able to talk with your players. And I'm, I'm not just talking, I think my, what might be helpful, I'm not just talking about within game. I'm also talking about like outside of the game. Like, and, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of pair this with kind of my experience with my players in that a little bit of background here. Uh, so there's five players. We've played together for over a year. We get together every two weeks because we're all adults with jobs and life is crazy. We get together every two weeks and in the year that we've met, we've had about maybe 25 sessions and um, the number of times that people have called out or had to miss has been on one hand. Not only that, but times where people have been sick, someone has you know, a cold or they're not feeling well. Uh, what has typically happened is rather than canceling the session, that person actually calls in 
or zooms in and, uh, or I think about a time that my wife wasn't feeling good. I mean, she was feeling fine, but she had like, it was kind of like COVID-like symptoms. And we were like, well, we can't have people over. And so what they all did was they all got together at someone's house, zoomed in, my wife and I zoomed. And so it was like the GM and then my wife's one of our players, the GM and one of his players and then everyone else at their table. Um, and to me, this is a sign of a, a healthy D&D group. It's a sign of people who enjoy playing D&D and who can be counted on, which is very different from many of us, what we've experienced, which is, you know, hey, guys, remember D&D's tonight at seven? And then someone's like, oh, is that tonight? Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, my my aunt, her ankle is hurting, so I got to take her to the hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but it's like kind of like the, it's like, the excuse that gets put out there that you don't want to like make them feel bad. And then someone else is like, oh yeah, I got so much going on. I, I don't think I can make it. And you know, it's like, it's just the flaky group um, or worse. I, I think it's worse at least. It's the group that gets together and one person, um, you know, like one person's on their phone. They're kind of just like scrolling. Uh, uh, oh, is it my turn? Oh, oh uh, uh, yeah. So uh, uh, yeah, I'll do that. And you're like, Okay, you're not even there you're all the way over here like this is what's happened that person actually left um you're nowhere near that creature and they're like oh uh well then or, or worse than that uh you just go ahead and do it for me real quick i gotta answer this email or something and then you're like oh, okay uh you're a character <laughs> rolls to attack i don't know or like um you know someone's like doodling or uh, just not paying attention or, or worse than that, there's like side chatter. Hey, so like what was going on at work today? And like, you're trying to lead a session. These are all signs of a, um, I wouldn't say a toxic group. Like, like let's not, I think sometimes as a game master, we can be really hard on ourselves. Like I'm not talking about, this isn't like deeply detrimental in the sense of your players suck. They're horrible human beings. They're just signs of an actively disengaged group. So I think communication is really important because when I think of my players, so I have five players, I mentioned already, they're very active. Um, one of them has played D&D. &D. He hadn't played in a few years, but prior to that, he had played it pretty regularly. One person played it one time, I think, with his brother, maybe a couple of times. Uh, and then the other three had never played before. So totally fresh, never experienced D&D &D before. So part of this communication piece was when we all began to play together, those early sessions were really around me educating and informing as to what, what not just what D&D &D looks like, but what our D&D &D session might look like. And so, um, you know, I talked about the time commitment. I said, hey guys, so, you know, this is obviously a, it's a really fun experience. It's, and, and also I was trying to explain to them what D&D was. And so I was like, you know, it's kind of a collaborative story. Um, you know, we're, we're getting together and we're telling the story together. So if you have to be out, it makes it weird because now you're out of the loop on the story and it's like trying to tell you what happened and it gets really clunky. So, uh, here's what I would say is if we want to try this, I would say just to make it worth our time, let's commit to it for a few months. And if we like it, we'll keep going. And if we don't, then we'll bail. And, and everyone, and, and this is kind of an odd piece of advice too, because you may not have like the level of candidness to communicate this effectively where it doesn't come off weird. Like if, 
like these people have all been in my life. Like obviously my wife, <laughs> I've been married. I've been with her for 10 years. These people have all been in my life for several years. So like me hashing out this conversation, there's already like deep trust there. And maybe there's another like great conversation to be had on like building trust with your players. Uh, Cause it's not always present. And people have very different ideas on like what D&D looks like in terms of like interacting with the DM. But I had a, a high level of trust with my players. And so when I was like, yeah, like here's what I would ask is that we commit to it for like eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. And then if people want to bail, then we bail. Um, so having said that, um, we actually did have a sixth player who around that time was like, yeah, it's not for me. But prior to that, they were active and engaged. They were just like, yeah, I, I just, now that I've tasted it, I've tried it. I just don't like it. It was like, sweet. See, I get you. If your players, if you don't have a prior relationship, there's not a lot of trust there. You ha you really do have to fine tune how you set the tone for expectations. And what I found is in that case, the way you communicate it is less about like going down a series of bullet points and instead trying to ask really good questions, which might sound a little counterintuitive, but but yeah, the way you communicate effectively is actually um, asking good questions and, and letting them kind of design what kind of game they want. So like Will, who I mentioned is not here today, when I was a player in his campaign, something I really liked that he did and that I then borrowed for my own campaign was like, hey, like playing D&D, what do you guys, what, what kind of of experience are you guys envisioning? Now for them, because most of them had never played before, they didn't really know how to answer that question, but it at least from the get-go, you're creating a level of engagement that you are going to want from them every session. So, hey, what kind of, what kind of experience are y'all wanting? Are you wanting, and I don't even mean so much like setting, like are you wanting steampunk? Are you wanting medieval? Are you wanting, or, or high fantasy, excuse me, or are you wanting, <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Are you wanting kind of like a hybrid fantasy on the cusp of technology? Um, I think of like uh, the show Arcane or like Riot's World is kind of where I associate that with. Uh, and Critical Role's kind of dabbled in that as well or is going in that direction. So it's even less about setting because, again, if they don't know much about D&D, they're not going to know really how to answer that question. But more of like, you know, would you guys appreciate like creating characters where like I sort of build out stories and you're kind of like part of this like large world and maybe you're discovering things or are you guys maybe looking for some variety of like every time we get together there's like a new prompt like now it's a bank heist like in a medieval bank or you know you get what I'm saying probably. But so I asked these questions from the get-go and most of them, because they haven't played, are going to be very different. They're going to be like, yeah, whatever you want. I'm just here for the ride. But you are trying to get as much feedback as possible as you can with them. I will say on this topic of communication and like setting expectations, there probably is a line somewhere where it does flip into like directness of what should a session look like. And the way I've typically, I'm a former school teacher, so I'm like, you know, pretty versed in like telling kids what to do without it feeling really bad. <laughs> and so I've applied that for like my adult job, my adult career. Um, but in general, what I will do is I will lay out the expectations for a game and I'll, I'll communicate it in a way that seems fun. 
so here's what I mean by this is rather than being like, um, you know, hey, I expect you guys to be prepared. I expect you to have your stuff. I expect you to have your character sheets updated. I expect you like that feels very, um, dude, you're nuts. Like I thought I was getting, I thought we were getting to play some games. Like, is this a job? Like, what is this? Like, you gotta think about how you're coming across, right? So the way I typically communicate it is I, I communicate via hyperbole. And so, and again, this is like base, this is just my personality. This is not how you have to do it. But what I will do is I'll be like, hey guys, like combat, here's what will happen is we'll all roll a dice that will determine the order we're going to go in. It'll be different every time, but you definitely wanna know, have an idea of what you're going to do um, when it's your turn, because if you don't, then it's going to take forever because you're figuring out what's happening, what's, what's going on. And then I start to bring in like hyperbole where it's like, you know, Joy gets to Joy's turn and she's like, oh my gosh, what, what am I doing? Oh yeah, shoot. And she spends 10 minutes figuring out her turn. And then it's like, all right, JP, you're up. And JP is like, oh gosh, I didn't even, I didn't even know, uh, you know? And so basically just try to, I try to give the example like a sense of silliness or funness so that they're, they don't feel like I'm yelling at them, but at the same time, they're like, okay, I don't wanna do that. Um, on the same token, I do the same thing with like, like my kind of players would never be like this, but if you're, if you're running a game with like strangers, people are kind of nuts sometimes. And so I do think sometimes you have to set the tone in terms of like how the players interact with each other. So like even with my players who know each other very well, and I knew they wouldn't do this, I still said, hey guys, D&D, um, &D, you know, it's collaborative storytelling, but it's really not the place to um, push the envelope in terms of being edgy or, um, you know, you designed a character who's like deeply racist and for whatever reason, and you just are always looking for those quips you know, and you have like fantasy inspired racial terms you design like, and so this is like the point of hyperbole, like no one would actually do this, but in terms of the example, I'll be like, you know, I'll say that. And then I'll be like, you know, everyone's feeling awkward. Now we're wondering if you're a closet racist, you know, and they're like laughing. They're like, okay, yeah, that'd be insane. Um, but the point is, is you're with strangers, you're, you're definitely gonna wanna set some kind of boundaries for like, how do we engage together? Um, which you may be thinking like, well, duh, like that would never happen. That would never happen. Uh, and yet I have been in situations where someone, someone, not that I think anyone was like a closet racist, but someone thinking they're, they're communicating, they're like portraying the better, um, transformation to the hero starts as a racist and then discovers, you know, the beauty of all races and they become a better person. And they're like, yeah, that's, I really want that for, for America. And so like, I created this character that like portrays the journey, um, which there's nothing wrong with like borrowing, um, transformative ideals that you're passionate about. But in general, I try to steer people away from, um, anything that's gonna make the, the table feel uncomfortable. And so I've never had someone individually try things like that, but if someone was individually to be like, hey, I wanna try this, um, what do you think about it? I generally will point them back to the other players and be like, well, you know, how do you feel like your, your fellow players would? Do you think they'd understand like what you're getting at or do you think it might be kind of weird? 
Uh, and nine times out of 10, what I would guess is that someone would be like, yeah, that might be kind of weird. Um, same thing applies for um, table romance. Uh, you maybe maybe you'd be surprised maybe you wouldn't be surprised um, nothing wrong with I mean not see now it's getting weird like this video is getting weird but like awkwardly weird table romance especially unreciprocated um, violence uh, which D&D you're battling monsters you're fighting um, you know nothing that's going to make people like wonder if like are you okay bro <laughs> like are you good <laughs> you really were descriptive in that um and and honestly this might be bad advice because like you're not going to give all of these things in the starting session like you're not going to say all this stuff hey guys i don't want any violence no romance no no i don't want any kind of political sniffing whatsoever like people are going to be like okay this feels stuffy now point that i'm making is you will want to find a way to communicate with your players and set expectations so I think when people understand what they're getting into and what it's really going to be like, they can then make an active decision on how well they want to be engaged in it. So that's what I'm what I'm trying to say. So there's like the the big picture communication that's important. There's also um, within the world of D and D, communication is also really important. Uh, and so understanding that your players are not experts in D and D. They may not even be experts on their character. You may even find yourself a year in and someone is miss like my wife, uh, God love her. My wife had a, a certain kid, excuse me, cantrip that she tried to use it incorrectly. And I said, hey, actually, it works this way. And this happened probably five sessions in a row where I was like, I feel like we keep talking about this like. Are you, is this okay? And she'd be like, oh my gosh, why am I, why do I keep forgetting this? And she just had a baby and like pregnancy brain's like a real thing. Um, but so point being, your players aren't deep encyclopedias. You as the dungeon master also are not a deep encyclopedia for how the game works. Having said that, it's no excuse to be unprepared. It's no excuse to like not know a lot of basic things. Like you want to familiarize yourself with how the, the world works not just for your own like sense of authority, like players are relying on you in terms of like the direction of the game. And so that reliance needs to feel like it's well put somewhere, but also separately, um, it's important to not waste time to have to like, if it's, if your session's like mine, we only have a couple hours. And so there's just not a lot of time for me to like, oh yeah, let me check that. Oh yeah, I'll go check that too. It just slows down the momentum of the world you're trying to create. But beyond that though, you know, your job isn't to be a master in all things D&D, it's to collaborate well with your players. So communication's a really important piece of that. For starters, as you are guiding them through the world, you wanna be asking for feedback. Hey, you know, after a session ends, was this fun? Or what did we do that was really, that you guys really liked? Or Hey, what just didn't, hasn't, hasn't really pinged for you guys. Um, I did this for my players. Uh, we just finished like a major story arc and we have a WhatsApp and I said, Hey, so like, what was great? And what do you guys want to change? Or what did we not get to do that you're really hoping we were going to do? And one of the players was like, I was really kind of hoping we'd have like a really deep, cool puzzle, uh, which we didn't have. And so now that's a great insight, this player. Now it doesn't mean like every session now, here's another puzzle, <laughs> you know, don't go overboard and be weird. But I think a lot of times for like, 
communication, what ends up happening is you ask for like that kind of feedback and really you're just like digging for admiration or compliments and you're not legitimately trying to make the game better. I do think being the DM is a hard job because it's not about you. It's not about your accents and like all the cool things you do. It's about creating an experience that's fun for the players. And if you're putting it, if you're putting them first uh, over your own ego, they'll have a great time. So asking for feedback about the session, um, helping them because it's a collaborative story, helping them accurately engage with what's happening. Um, so like if my player, if, if I have a player who's like misunderstanding the setting and they're like, like maybe they think I've hidden something. And so they're like, roll and like, I want to roll to investigate or whatever, or I want to investigate and they roll like a two. And then someone else is like, well, I'm going to investigate too. Oh, you rolled a five. And someone else is like, well, I, you know, I want to investigate too. Like this kind of stuff really like breaks up the tone of what you're creating. So like someone roll a three and let's say someone else like also rolls. I'll say something like, hey, you know, you really feel like you've you've turned this place you, through and through. You've looked it over and you really just, it really feels like nothing's here. Now, I may not be, be being fully honest with them. Maybe there was something there, but you have to understand that there becomes a point where it becomes very obnoxious to be like, oh no, you don't see it yet. Anyone else wanna roll? And if, And besides, if the point is for them to absolutely find something, why did you put it behind a roll anyway? You know, instead, it should be like um, someone rolls a three and they, maybe they don't directly find it. Maybe they find a locked chest and they can't open it. And so now they have to rely on another roll or something else to happen to actually get into it. Uh, but definitely what you're doing, since you're collaborating and moving the story forward, you want to be actively talking with your players. And even I think some of the most powerful things you can ask them is, hey, what are you trying to do? Like I've had players who they have a um, description, a description of some actions they're taking, and I'm not fully grasping what they're trying to do, but it's not really syncing with what the setting is. And so I'll say, "Hey, tell me what you're trying to do. Like, what are you wanting to do?" Uh, this applies for combat too, which someone might be like, "Well, I'm trying to climb this tree because I want to jump off and have this awesome like sword through the monster moment." And I'll be like, okay, yeah. And I respond with excitement because it's like, again, you're drawing players in. You're using communication to bring them further in rather than present on something, shut them down, uh, or just talk endlessly. So kind of like this video that's almost half an hour long. <laughs> um, and on that too, when you don't communicate, it gets very frustrating for a player because you have to understand that like the player spotlight is so sparing for each person. Like if you have five people or more at a table in a two hour session or a three hour session, each person's only going to have a narrow window for their moment. Uh, I do think it takes a lot of time to train, train's not the right word, but like to get a group to a point of comfort where they're engaging with one another. But despite that, when someone has that one moment, if you haven't set them up to succeed in that moment, then when they fall on their face, they will generally disengage from the table. And frankly, long-term, they won't want to play anymore. Cause it's like, I had my, you know, five minutes of fame and I blew it. So like, here's a perfect example. You know, you have, let's say you're in combat and combat, as we know, takes forever. 
Uh, well, we had a player at my table last week who was wanting to cast sleep and it was like a really, um, like things were tense and it was like, I, I want to cast sleep. But I knew the person because of the reason they were casting sleep, I knew that they didn't fully understand how sleep worked, which if you're not familiar with sleep, um, it's not an attack roll. It's not a DC save. Uh, it's based on the health of the creatures that you're rolling it against. And again, because of the situation, it didn't quite make sense why they would be casting sleep. So rather, so what I could have done was I could have been like, okay, great, you cast sleep. Um, yep, they're still awake. All right, who's next? And now that person's kind of like, oh, okay, well, that was a huge waste of my time. And they're, if, if they're like me, I would be pissed off. I'd be like, oh, okay, uh, why, like, why did I do that, I guess? I, I wish I had known that wasn't gonna work. So I could have handled it that way. What I did instead was I said, okay, um, so just making sure you realize the way sleep works is this way. And I'm worried if you cast that, I don't know if that's going to really work here. Uh, and ultimately, I just don't want you to waste your turn. And this person was like, okay, yeah, I do not want to do that then. I want to do this cool thing instead. And so like, you're, you're sort of like holding the ladder so that the person can climb up to have like this cool, awesome moment that only happens through communication. And I've had DMs in the past where they didn't help me understand what was happening. They didn't help me with my decision-making. And so I'd make a decision and they'd be like, great, you fail. All right, who's next? And I'd kind of just be like, you know, you kind of slink back in your chair and you're just like, uh, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, it's like, so, so understanding within the session, you know, you're helping your players, you're, you're chatting with them uh, and not anything long-winded, but you're chatting with them to help, again, draw them in to help them have a more enjoyable experience. That's, that's the end goal, is creating high levels of engagement so that your players love the session. They walk away being like, oh my gosh, that was amazing, rather than, you know, like, why do I, why do I set aside this time every Monday night? It's like, why do I do this? It's kind of a waste of my time. So having said all that, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts on what works well for creating engagement at your play at your table for drawing in your players. And yeah, maybe we'll have another D&D session down the road or insights down the road. Um, I think it would be good to talk about trust. But uh, all that having said, if you're new to the channel, make sure you click the subscribe button. We will be having a giveaway here in about a week's time that we hit 1,000 subs and we'll have our awesome co-host Will back with us today. That's all we got. Catch you later. See you guys. Oh, I got to do the thumbnail. Here we go. Like, hmm. there's a thumbnail. See ya. <laughs>